in association with the Agri Health Network, it's time for That Farm Life podcast, Planting Hope, Harvesting Strength. On That Farm Life, we talk about that life that is that of a farmer and their family. It's about the day-to-day grind, the good times, the tough times, and everything in between, because farming is more than a job, it's a way of life. And we're here to offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. Now, here's your host, a farmer, a former agri-business owner, and also the pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Arkansas, Archie Mason. Hey, y'all, this is Mandy Barham filling in for Archie Mason. Today on that Farm Life podcast, our topic is something that we all have experienced or know someone who has, maternal loss and mental health. Guys, this is not time for you to check out. If you have a wife, sister, daughter, or female friend, being informed will help you support her if she struggles with infant loss, miscarriage, or postpartum depression or anxiety. Our guest for this episode is Emily Gregory. Emily is a licensed professional counselor with extensive training through Postpartum Support International. Her own story helps her connect with struggling moms and their families. Emily, thanks so much for being here today. To start, will you tell us a little about yourself? Okay, my name is Emily Gregory. I'm old as dirt. I'm 64 years old. I have two children, both girls, age 40 and 36. I have a total of three grandchildren, for which I'm so thankful for. My father was a doctor, and if they said they were a pre-med major, I ran the other way as fast as I could because I was determined I was not going to live that life. So I married a farmer from the Arkansas Delta, from Augusta, Arkansas, and six years in, he decided he was going to med school. So I ended up with a doctor anyway. But we did live in Augusta for, uh, I believe it was seven years. He farmed, family farm, down around Gregory, Arkansas. And um, I've never seen a more stressful job in my life. If it weren't the weather, it was the commodity prices. It was the lack of irrigation. It was always something, and it was always beyond their control. Mm-hmm. which I had absolutely no idea of. So I think that really gave me a little bit of context for rural life and farming life in Arkansas. So you weren't raised in a farming family. It was all new to you. I was raised in Houston, Texas. I was an accountant for 17 years. And then I decided I hated it. So um, I stayed home, raised the kids, and did what all my friends encouraged me to do. Said, you've been doing this your entire life. Why don't you get paid to do it? So as soon as JBU opened their doors in Little Rock, I signed up and got my master's degree in counseling. How would you compare the stress of farming then to the stress of med school? Because I mean, I have family members who are doctors and you can control med school. Aha. So you say it's worse? Can control it. When farming, you have no control. None. Everything is up for grabs. Everything is on a whim. Med school, you do the work, you make the grades, you select your residency, you interview, you get the residency you want, and you carry on. Much less stress, much less stressful being a doctor than a farmer. That's nuts because 
Yeah. I would think being a doctor is one of the most stressful no. jobs out there. It can't be farming. Nothing beats farming. Well, tell me more about your job. What do you do with counseling? Okay. So I was in kind of a mode where I thought I wanted to do adolescence. I was, um, I was sadly mistaken about that. And um, I saw my first client who was experiencing postpartum depression. And I didn't really think about it. I just was led there. You know, in my own experience, I had a, at 32, I had a late, late term loss, what we, ter- what we call late term loss at th- 27 weeks. And at the time, I thought there was no way out. There was no way the sadness was ever going to be okay. And 30 years later, God showed me how I could use that. And I will be forever eternally grateful that he could turn that experience into something good. So I was led to working with postpartum women with no idea that there were trainings and resources and other people who were doing this. And it just fell in place. Just happened. It it called me. I did not choose it. It called me. So was it difficult when you started working with women who had gone through some of the same experiences you had? Was that hard for you to do? No, because I was so grateful that I could use that. And generally, the first question women will ask is, has anything like this ever happened to you? If you say no, they immediately turn off. If you say yes, they know you understand. And it's something that you will not and cannot understand unless you have been there. Would you mind sharing some of your story with us? No, not at all. You know, healthy, normal pregnancy. Everything was going fine. And I felt pain in my lower back, called my doctor. And I said, I think something's wrong. And I got to the hospital and I was already dilated to seven. There was nothing they could do to stop it. And I delivered Andrew within about an hour and he lived for 10 and a half hours. And it's the most, for me, of course, the nurses were very supportive, but there were no support groups. There were no therapists. And I just had to live with it. And I really almost didn't. It was a depression like I've never had, I've never had before and never had since. I wish I'd had somebody. I wish I had somebody to walk along beside me. So, you know, it was it was a loss I can't really describe. It's just part of me was gone. Still think about him. Wish you were here, but that was the Lord's plan. Apparently this was my getting involved in, in this particular area was the maybe the final the linchpin in healing. Yeah. So you feel like your your job now has been really a healing process for you, a healing Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a way to turn tragedy into triumph. And there's only one person who can do that. So I just kind of felt like feel like I was led down the path. And then it was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Because people ask me a lot, how on earth can you do this all day? And I said, how can I not? This is what I was called to do. I, you don't say no. You called your situation late-term pregnancy loss. 
Yes. We categorize losses in different ways. Infertility is a loss. Miscarriage is a loss. Late-term losses, that is in the third trimester. Anything past, you know, anything past the six month, six months. We categorize them, but they're really all the same. Each one of those women experiences a loss. I don't care if the loss is at six weeks. We don't just grieve the baby. We grieve the dream. At six weeks, we already have plans for our baby, for our family. So it's not just grieving the infant, the child. It's grieving a life that you thought you were going to have. A lot of times when you're discussing the issues of infertility or miscarriage or late pregnancy, loss in late pregnancy, we think about the women and how it affects them, but it really affects the man and the entire family. How do you see that manifested in men and the extended family as well? Particularly for the men, because they are the leaders of the family. They are their wife's primary support, particularly during pregnancy. What I see mostly is a feeling of helplessness. What can I do when there is actually nothing they can do but love and support? I also see uh, men carrying burdens of depression and anxiety over their inability to help the situation. They have nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, so they bottle their feelings up and carry them around. And it's very sad. Extended family, there may be other children in the home who do not understand why mommy's tummy is not fat anymore. Very hard to explain to young children. As far as mothers, sisters, women in their family who've had children experience that loss right along beside the mom. And it causes them great sadness, but it also provides support for the mom. I know often when men have depression, it looks different than when a woman has a de- has depression. A man that's grieving on the outside, it looks different. What are some differences you see in how the men and the women process their grief and process their sadness? The men go directly to getting their tool belt and finding whatever tool they can to fix an unfixable situation. Some become irritable. Some become very quiet and reclusive and just to themselves. Um, Women typically cry and cry. And then they cry some more. They want to talk about it. They want to relive the experience. They need to process by speaking through and talking through what happened to them. Much like PTSD victim. From, say, the Gulf War, you know, those men typically will give you a very detailed description of what happened to them. So that's what that's a lot of what I see in moms. And it is post-traumatic stress. There's there's no way around it. It's trauma. Period. It's trauma. You mentioned that when you went through your experience that there wasn't a lot of support. Um, no. What kind of support is there now for people? Unimaginable. There are so many, many ways to get help. Okay. Um, There is an organization called Postpartum Support International. 
And the website for that is postpartum.net. If you click on that website, it will give you links. You It shows you a map of the United States. They're active in all 50 states. You click on your state and it gives you a list of providers who can help you. They also provide online support, but it's not like Facebook groups. They are heavily monitored. There's at least one therapist in the session. So that if a young lady has trouble during their meeting, they are pulled out and seen by an individual counselor at that time. And they're limited to eight to 10 women at a time. They're typically full all the time. Um, but there is always room. There's, they will find a spot for you. And they are safe, confidential groups shared by other women in similar situations. So there is, there is that support. An interesting fact, indigenous cultures, um, cultures other than our westernized culture, um, they have protocols around um, birth. Uh, many times uh, other women Mothers, sisters, you know, women in the community come into the home and the mother's job is to do nothing but take care of the baby for six weeks. That's it. That's all she does. They have a support network of women who literally lift them up and carry them for six weeks. Because of the way our society has become, we're all separate. We're all apart. We don't have our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunts, our sisters in the same town any longer we are missing the support that we so desperately need. And that is actually a protective factor against postpartum depression. About the support groups, is there a cost to them? No, they're free. It is something they can access through the computer, correct? Telemed, absolutely. It's telemed. And the groups are, the uh, women who moderate the groups are some of my trainers. They have been doing this for 40 years. They were the pioneers for Postpartum Support International. They can be trusted. I personally went through pretty severe postpartum depression after my first child and did not know about any resources. And I am so glad that we're able to share this now because, man, that wouldn't have been quite as lonely of a journey, you know, knowing that there were, um, that I wasn't alone because like one in eight women go through postpartum depression. Is that the correct statistic? Well, it's actually one in 10. According to the literature I'm looking at. So one in 10 women go through postpartum depression and the response isn't always great. So we've talked about some of the struggles that can happen during pregnancy, loss, infertility, but tell me, let's tell everybody else a little more about what is postpartum depression. Why is that different than just being hormonal? Okay. So we've all heard of the baby blues, right? We have enormous hormone fluctuations when we no longer carry the baby. So baby blues, as our grandmothers called it, and our mothers probably called it, um, there may be brief crying spells, some irritability, nervousness, poor sleep, emotional reactivity. But baby blues generally last about a week, and then they resolve, and all is fine. Okay, those are baby blues. Postpartum depression is included in four other issues. There's postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder, postpartum stress disorder, and postpartum psychosis. So there is a 
kind of a witch's brew of, of things that can happen. So postpartum de- depression is defined by it'll last longer than a week and it is not resolving. It is not, it is absolutely not getting better. It is getting worse. Many express feeling anger, they're irritable, guilty, lack of sleep, lack of interest in the baby, changes in eating and sleeping, trouble concentrating, thoughts of hopelessness, and sometimes thoughts of harming the baby or themselves. Now I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about postpartum anxiety because it's super, super common. And um, it includes extreme worries and fears, including some about the health and safety of the baby. Some women may have panic attacks during these times. Okay, there's postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder where women begin to believe if they do the same thing at the same time or, you know, wash their hands three times or whatever their obsessive behavior has become, it's in order to keep the baby safe. It's just an expansion of a mother's natural protectiveness. Postpartum stress disorder many times can happen after traumatic birth experience or a birth experience where the mother felt out of control or that things were being done to her, that she was not a participant. She was a victim. Okay, so that's really a different disorder. Postpartum psychosis is extremely rare. There's no reason for anyone to be concerned about this. But that would involve women who begin to see and hear things that are not real, uh, believe things that aren't true. And... We often see this in women who are who have sleep interruptions due to the baby's schedule. They are sleeping for an hour to an hour and a half at a time, and the baby wakes up, cries again, and it's feeding time. And this goes on for weeks. Sleep deprivation will make you crazy. In the in the old fashioned sense of the word, our brains cannot function with no sleep, so we have ways to get around that. But there's no need to worry about that particular disorder because in eight years, I've only seen it twice. And the psychiatrist I work with has only seen it once. So it's not common. So if there's somebody who feels like they fit into one of these categories or their sister or their wife or their aunt or somebody that they love, their friend, what are things that women can do who are experiencing any of these postpartum um, stresses, issues, depression, disorders? Be honest. Number one, no shame, no blame. No, I'm not a good mom. No, you are a hurting person needing support. So honesty with other moms, with your mother, with your grandmother, with your aunt, with your sisters, with your friends at church, whatever support system that you have used in the past, use it again, but be honest. You know, I had one sweet little mom who said, am I am I just horrible? If I just want to put him on the doorstep, call my mother and say, if you don't come get him in the next five minutes, I'm going to lose my mind. That's the kind of honesty we need to express to one another as women. It's okay. We have all felt like that. That's what I would say. I think that's so good to say, too, because any parent at many points in their parenting journey are going to feel like they're going to lose their marbles. Sure. I I know that there's times, especially when we were all in lockdown, that I would remark to my husband that I felt like we were on an episode of Survivor and somebody needed to get voted off the island and I might volunteer because it's just families and we love each other. But 
the pressure, especially of a baby who needs you all through the night, the sleep deprivation and right. all that. That's a lot. It's I love how you said no shame because we as mamas, we, we see these perfect people on social media. We see perfect pictures in media and we think I'm a mess. Right. Okay. But, but we are all a mess. But if we got honest and we said it would be an act of God for us to shower, wash our hair, put on makeup and clothes and dress the baby and get the baby fed and dressed in one day. That would be a miracle. Seriously. Anyone who's been a mom knows we're lucky to go to the bathroom. We are lucky to wash our face every other day. Our primary concern is that baby. So I would say the first thing to do would be honest. Stop putting up the facade. Stop acting like We've got it all together and admit we're falling apart just like every other mama that ever walked. Normalize it. Just normalize it. So I think it starts by being honest. That probably should be the first thing. Second thing is to reach out for support. Any kind you can get. Third step, if you feel that you have, you know, after a week or two, is if it's not really resolved and you're showing the following symptoms, Depressed mood, feelings of guilt or worthlessness, anxiety, loss of interest in activities, thoughts of suicide, difficulty coping with daily activities, irritability, fatigue, poor concentration, thoughts of harming your baby, insomnia, or significant changes in in appetite. If you notice any of those that you feel are problematic, you can reach out to a therapist who is trained to deal with only this. They don't do many other things. This is their this is their wheelhouse. So I would definitely recommend reaching out for help when you need it. And again, you can locate providers who are certified, who are trained through postpartum.net, clicking on your state and dropping down a list of providers. I want to talk a little bit about some of those symptoms that you referenced about maybe the thoughts of harming yourself or your baby. And I know that in a lot of cases, that's what's called intrusive thoughts. Okay. Intrusive thoughts are defined as unwanted thoughts that pop into our head without warning at any time or any place. They are typically repetitive and can be disruptive and and distressing. Intrusive thoughts are absolutely not those thoughts we have in our head called self-talk that could possibly be negative. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough church member. Those are different. Those are self-made in your head, not intrusive. So many women have issues with bathing their baby. They're afraid they're going to drop them because they are slippery, right? They're slippery little suckers. So as you're bathing your baby, if you think, oh my God, I'm going, to, I'm going to drop this baby, I'm going to drop this baby. That's an intrusive thought. Being afraid to walk out onto your deck that may be four feet off the ground. You are clutching that baby because you're terrified you're going to drop that baby over the edge. You have no intention of doing so. It just comes to your mind. So you clutch the baby tighter and tighter. And then finally, you stop going to the deck. Those are intrusive thoughts. They're not actually going to happen. They come unbidden. They're not invited in. 
They follow no rational pattern of thought. And they're okay. They will pass. If, however, there is intent, put the baby down somewhere safe. Call the closest person you can find to watch the baby and get help immediately. If it goes from, I'm terrified something is going to happen to my baby, which is normal. Right. Totally normal. Drop the baby. Fall down with the baby. The list goes on and on. You know, I've had some moms who uh, sat in the baby's room while they slept because they knew they were going to die in the night. Okay, all of that is normal. And intrusive thoughts of you're going to do something with the baby that's going to cause harm. That's an intrusive thought. When you shift to, I think maybe I'd like for this baby not to be here anymore. That's a different, that's, that's another step. I know that when I experienced it, this was 15 years ago, um, some people's responses were encouraging and supportive and some people's responses were stupid, <laughs> like just cheer up or look at all your blessings or oh. you're being unreasonable. I had even somebody who was a nurse tell oh. me, um, well, you know, it's just going to go away. You're kind of making a big deal out of things. Mm-hmm. So people are going to hear stupid things. They sure are. Time and time again. So two-part question. How can people, both men and women who are going through this, respond to the stupid stuff? And then what are things people can say instead? Okay, number one, when people say stupid stuff, it's because they don't know what to say. That they're saying anything at all exhibits care for you. They're trying to help. They just don't know how. So I would say the first step is hear it. Extend them the grace that covers their non-understanding and forgive them because they don't know the right. What people can say is, what can I do for you right now? Step in, be that helper, be that support, be that whatever there is. Allow the mother to talk with no shame, no blame, no judgment around what the mother is saying. Validate her feelings. You know, I'm so tired, I can barely put my foot, one foot in front of the other. A a great response would be, boy, do I remember that. You make her feelings normal. Make her feel like she's not the oddball. Okay. Um, in postpartum depression, probably should recommend help. You know, between ther- psychotherapy and medication, most of these symptoms can resolve in two weeks. The earlier the treatment, the better. The longer it's allowed to go on, the harder it is to control. I love how you're saying there's no shame. This is not the mama's fault. Okay, if we can look at it as a physiological issue, Mm -hmm. there is something in the body. There are things called hormones that everyone experiences, men as well. Women typically experience hormonal shifts and swings during their monthly cycle. If you can take that times 100, 
that's what happens after you deliver a baby. So you've got the hormonal factors, which are significant from a physiological standpoint, plus the caregiving aspect. Those two put together are toxic. They're just toxic. Women cannot help it. There is no shame and no blame there because they cannot help it. It's like it's like telling a diabetic to just shape up and ship out and get in a better mood. Guess what? If you have diabetes, you need insulin. Absolutely. And you add on top of the hormonal changes and the physical changes and suddenly caring for a baby and you don't have any sleep. And I don't know about other mamas out there, but I wasn't exactly eating healthy things. I was eating what I could grab. Whatever you could. And so you've got, it's a, it's a, I guess, a big storm waiting to happen for a lot of, a lot of people. We've talked about the women who are going through these perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. What can their families do to deal with their own response to the issue as well as to support her? Number one, I would say it is not about anybody but the mother and baby. Those are our primary concerns. If you have feelings that you're having trouble dealing with, it's best to take those elsewhere either to a therapist or trusted friend, family member. It is not appropriate to put that on on the postpartum woman at this time. Okay, practical things that the husband, the mom, sister, the aunt, here's some ideas of things that people can do. Okay, for for the dad, who is the most important other than the mama, um, or equally important, Be sensitive to his wife's needs. When she is exhausted and crying, step in and say, what specifically may I do to help you? If the answer is nothing, go on and proactively order dinner. Call someone to bring dinner. If she does not want to talk, sit and hold her and let her cry. Maybe the most important thing, while we always recommend four hours of uninterrupted sleep for new moms, we all know that newborns eat every two hours. So that becomes a little problematic for a mom. If you are breastfeeding, you're able to pump. If you are bottle feeding, this is not a concern. The husband ideally would get up so that the mother could receive four hours of uninterrupted sleep. Our minds cannot and will not function on less than that. So when you're putting a postpartum woman through weeks of sleep that is at most every two hours, she cannot function. She is physically unable to function and certainly mentally unable to function. The husband being the primary helper can make absolutely certain and support her in getting the amount of sleep she needs. You know, we've talked about what the dad can do. What the mother can do is without shame, ask for what she needs when she needs it. If she says, I would give anything to go take a shower and wash my hair, make it happen. If she says, I I can't handle dinner tonight. Either do it yourself, call her mother, call her support system, call anybody. Get the food there. Whatever the mother requests. Um, Sleep 
being number one, food maybe being number two, self-care being very important, whatever that self-care looks like. What if she hasn't had time for Bible study for a quiet time of 15, 20, 30 minutes in the morning? Make sure she gets that. That's a routine. That's her routine. That's important to her. And self-care is not selfish. It's the same thing as put on your own oxygen mask first. If you are not healthy, if you are not functioning, neither is your baby. So self-care is not selfish. It's selfless. It's making sure you have enough fuel in your tank to see to those that require your attention. Number one being the baby, number two being your husband. You know, let's talk just a little bit about what woman support group could do. And that support group includes everybody, everybody she reaches out to, family, friends. They can plug in and do exactly what the husband's doing. They can provide two hours of coming to watch the baby so that mom can get a shower or eat or take a nap, or whatever it is that she requires at that time. Call and say, I'm on my way over. I have two hours to dedicate to you and the baby. So may I come over and hold your baby while you do something for yourself? I'm bringing dinner tonight. Not may I bring dinner tonight. I am bringing dinner tonight. Just state it. Don't ask. Because as women, we think, oh, we can do it all. We got this. We're good. We're fine. Things that you're talking about are so important for any woman who's just had a baby. Everybody. But women who are going through those perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, it's even more important that yes. their support group step up, but not just Absolutely. the first couple of weeks. And probably a great idea not to talk about it unless the mom brings it up. Because I don't care how many times I can say, there's no shame, there's no judgment. The mom's doing plenty of self-shaming and judging herself. So she may not be in the mood to talk, and that's okay. So are there any risk factors that a woman might deal with one of these mood and anxiety disorders after pregnancy? Um, And if you have it in one pregnancy, are you guaranteed to have it after all of them? Okay, that's a great question. Some risk factors that we've identified over time with verified by longitudinal studies are young maternal age because they don't have maturity nor the support system to navigate the intricacies of motherhood. And they probably are going to need some extra support. Um, Lack of social support. Those women who are isolated, perhaps those in the mission field, Perhaps those who are working, you know, have been working and do not have that wide social network of church and friends and neighbors because they simply haven't had time. Depression or anxiety preceding the pregnancy, if they have a history of depression and anxiety. And also when it shows up during pregnancy, one can begin to see those depressive symptoms as early as the third trimester, Um, low-income, low-income families. They typically do not have access to the resources that are required, but they can be reassured that there are resources available for free 
every therapist certified under PSI donates pro bono hours and reduced rate hours. So there is no barrier to care because you have low income. Stressful life events during the pregnancy. You know, the loss of a mom, the loss of a family, any kind of loss at all, any kind of traumatic event can certainly precipitate. Uh, marital conflict and low partner support. They're left alone. No support group. Not even the most basic, which is the husband. I've already covered history of depression or PPD in previous pregnancies. Family history of depression. If that is a, a trait that runs through your family. You have primary, you know, mom, dad, sister, aunt, something to always watch out for. Postpartum can occur. Women who've had five children only had postpartum with one. Some women have postpartum every time they give birth. Let's say you have a family member who is struggling with postpartum depression, anxiety, or OCD. The number one, absolute number one thing is to support the mom, period. If you are concerned, immediately contact her physician. You may also reach out to postpartum.net. That's www.postpartm.net. We'll connect you to the PSI website, full of resources for groups, for information. There's even a hotline you can call and speak with someone directly 24-7. Just ensure that the mother receives adequate support from everybody involved. And I'd say that about, that about sums it up. Emily, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I'm going to make sure that we've got all of the different resources you've mentioned linked in the show notes and on our website. So our listeners who maybe didn't have a pen handy, they'll be able to go and access that. As somebody who's been through it and somebody who doesn't like to watch my friends go through it, I appreciate you sharing all of these things. I hope it's been helpful. Any other questions, you can reach out. And there are six other providers other than myself in the state of Arkansas. Almost all of us do telemed. So we're available to anyone in the state at any time. Thanks again, Emily, for sharing all of this great information with us. Our show notes for today's episode will have links to this information, and you can also check out our website, agrihealth.net, for more resources. Email us at info at agrihealth.net. We enjoy reading your feedback, your stories, and your ideas. And thanks again for joining us. Archie will be back next week with another episode. Until then, keep farming and keep the faith. You've been listening to That Farm Life Podcast, planting hope, harvesting strength with your host, Archie Mason. That Farm Life Podcast is a creation of the Agri-Health Network in conjunction with Grounded Faith Ministries, where we offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. You can learn more about who we are and what we do on our website at agrihealth.net. That's agrihealth, one word, dot net. Thanks for listening, and until next week, keep the faith.